0: So a few weeks ago I was at my kid's baseball field and I'm waiting for games and stuff to start and all of a sudden I see Craig from our church. Here's a picture of Craig on his wedding day looking dapper. Craig is one of our community group leaders and uh, Craig is just an awesome guy that's around here at our church. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's Craig over there. And as I got a little closer, I realized, oh that's not Craig. That's not Craig. Um, And then Cade, my son, came up to me and said, oh did you see Craig? I think he's here. I said, no it's not him. It looks just like him. And then Bryn, my daughter, came up and said, dad I think Craig's over there. No it's not Craig. And so I'm thinking to myself, I have got to get a picture." of this because this guy looks so much like Craig. I'm not one of those creepers. want to follow people around with cameras or anything like that. But I said, okay, I got my kids in a little huddle. I said, guys, I need your help. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pretend I'm showing you guys something on my phone. Like, oh, check out this video. Isn't this incredible? And as I have it up, I'm going to take a little snapshot of Craig because I want to make sure, you know, fake Craig here so I can show real Craig, you know. So I'm all excited about this moment. So I go ahead and get them over and like, oh yeah, you see him. They're like, oh dad, that's the most interesting interesting thing I've ever seen in the world. And snap, you know. And so I walk away. I'm like, yes, we got it. Until look at the picture a little later here's the picture and uh, you can see he's kind of looking in my direction and when you zoom in here let's go ahead and zoom in you can see I'm totally busted He 100% knew what I was doing there. He's literally smirking at me like, really bro, you're taking the picture of me right now. I know what you're up to. And I have to say, in that moment, I was like, man, I am so horrifyingly embarrassed. I hope I never see this guy. I thought about wearing like a wig and some like extra facial hair to the field so he doesn't recognize the crazy guy who was snapping a picture of him. And I just felt like, man, I thought that would go better. Didn't expect to hit those bumps in the road. And here's what I thought to myself. I am never doing that again. I don't care who it is. I don't care what circumstances I'm under. I will never do that Again, And some of you guys can relate to that emotion because here's what's happened in your life. You've begun to follow Jesus or maybe you've toyed around with the idea or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've kind of surrendered some areas of your life to him and then you hit some bumps in the road. And then some things started to go not quite like you thought the picture was going to look like. And eventually you thought to yourself, you know what, I am not going to do this anymore. I'm done with this. Either I'm done with following Jesus altogether or I'm done with trying to give him little snippets of my life, these little little areas of my life that I've surrendered because I don't feel like that went so well. And then we began to just think to ourselves, I think I'm, I'm giving up on this stuff, man. Maybe you came into this building tonight and you've been toying with that idea. Do I keep following Jesus or do I not? Or maybe some of you would say, well, Doug, I'm not there, but I am wondering, do I keep on trusting him with new areas of my life? Or I've been thinking about that one area of my life that I kind of surrendered to him a while back. I'm thinking about maybe pulling that back and taking that back and taking care of things myself with that. I don't know if you can relate to that, but here's the truth, guys. Every one of us at some point in our life, because of something difficult we go through, because of a bump in the road that we hit, we'll have the idea, run through our head, we should just give up on all this God stuff. Or at the very least, we will begin to be tempted to take areas of our lives back that we really need to keep surrendered in his hands. I don't know if this is you know, hitting anybody where you are tonight. I pray that it is. But I not only want to kind of hit you if that's where you are, but I want to prepare you for what's to come. I think that's one of my big jobs in life is to prepare you, especially at this night service. I love that we have a lot of young people mixed in with some older people in this service. But I feel like at this service specifically, part of my call is to help you younger people succeed in God as you grow up. And so my heart is to prepare you guys for what is to come. See, here's the deal. Some of you guys were here last Sunday. And my wife Kelly shared about some of her experiences in the last year and nine months of of painful trauma and nearly dying and horrible things happening. And you sat there and you said to yourself, I don't know how she kept her faith through that. I don't know how she stayed so close to Jesus through that. I don't know if I could have done that. In fact, maybe some of you thought to yourself, I never would have been able to pull that out. There's no way I could have gone what she went through and kept my faith intact. How did she do it? Well, tonight, I want to give you a little bit of a a key. Because the truth is, is every one of us at one point or another is tempted to walk away from God. Tempted to stop trusting him as much as we are or should. And here's what happens. I think when we're tempted with those things, it's because we believe one or many lies. Let me give you some examples. One of the lies I think we believe when we're tempted to give up on God is that he couldn't want me. Guys, this is big for some of us in the room tonight. You walk into this room thinking, there's no way God wants me. Don't know why I'm here. Don't know if I'm going to sing any of the songs. Definitely not going to pray. I guess I'll half listen to the message because there's no way God is interested in me. The things I've done this week, the things I've done this month, maybe some of you are here for the first time and you're thinking, the things I've done my whole life, there's just no way God could want me. I might as well just not even try. I might as well just give up. Another lie I think that we believe sometimes makes us want to give up is there's no hope for me. You know, Maybe there's hope for him, maybe there's hope for her, but for me, no, because I have this certain issue in my life that is just absolutely hopeless. There's no way God could make any good of it. Another lie I think that we believe when we're tempted to give up is that God's abandoned us. He just, he, you know, he's not as near as he used to be. Some of us, we felt God in a certain way at a certain time in our life. And it's like, man, I'm looking at all this right now. It just doesn't feel like it did once. What is the story? Am I doing something wrong here? Or, or has God just abandoned me? Is it because he doesn't want me? Or is it because he just has decided to not pay attention anymore? And that's a scary place to be sometimes. Some, I think another lie we sometimes wrestle with is the idea that he can't handle what I'm going through. You know? And I think some of us in the room are like, Doug, I'm not ready to give up on God, but I'm ready to stop handing him some of my issues because I know this is just real big, man. I, can't, I don't think God can handle the amount of addiction I'm wrestling with. I don't think he can handle the amount of pain that I'm dealing with. Maybe somebody else. I don't know if he can handle the amount of sin and struggle in my life. I don't know if he can handle, handle the emotional trauma that's all packed down in my heart deep, man. And so we kind of hang on to that stuff instead of bringing it to him. Maybe another lie we, we tend to believe is he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. Doug, I've, I've given him areas of my life in the past, and it didn't go the way I thought it would. And that's part of the problem. Let me just throw that out there really early in the message tonight. That's part of the problem is when we say, okay, I gave him some access to my life and and I began to surrender some things, but it didn't go how, how I thought. You know what the wrong word in that sentence is? I, how I thought. You see, God sees things we don't see and he understands things from a whole different level. And so surrendering those areas of our life, sometimes we begin to say, I'm just gonna stop doing that. And here's a big one, especially for the younger generation in the room tonight. This thought, maybe he's just not worth it. Maybe my sin is worth it. Maybe my way is worth it. Maybe my own resources and abilities and my own control over my life and the areas of my life are worth it. And so tonight, we're going to work through all of this. And maybe you have your own reason for feeling tempted to give up on God, or at least tempted to stop surrendering more and more of your life, tempted to stop taking steps toward him. Maybe some of us in the room are saying, I'll go this far and no further. I'm going to stop right here, right where I am. I'm not planning on trusting him with anything new anytime soon. And so today, I want us to work through this because the truth is, guys, when we feel like giving up, we choose to either, I'm sorry, yeah, when we feel like giving up, we choose to either give up or dig down deep. See, that's the option here. Either we give up or we dig deeper into all that God is, like this bucket of dirt that I have here. Like, basically, some of us, if we're honest, we've been walking around and we've been kind of just, you know, toying a little bit with God, you know, testing him out, kind of just skimming the top. And that's the choice we have when we're in the middle of our pain, when we're in the middle of a hardship, like we can kind of just kind of skim the top of who God is, or we can really get in there and say, no, man, I'm going to dig down deep into all that God is. I'm not just going to play it surfacey." And man, that's the cry of my heart. I love that song we sang right before the announcements in our greeting time, because that's the cry of our heart is, God, I have to meet with you. I loved Anthony's prayer. We are not here to play religious games. We are here to meet with God. We're here to go deep into all that he is. And in those moments, those crucial moments when we're going through something difficult, it's so easy to be tempted to give up. So tonight I want to challenge you, instead of running away in those times, instead of taking control back of certain areas of your life to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to go deeper. I'm not going to fall for those lies. I'm not going to fall for those tricks. I don't know if anybody here in the room has ever kind of wikipedia God. What do I mean by that? Well, you know when you want to look for the answer to something, you know, and the easiest thing is just to jump right to Wikipedia, right? And so you're, you're trying to solve one of life's great mysteries, you know, why doesn't the glue stick to the inside of the bottle? Like, if I can figure that out, I'll sleep better at night, you know. And so you go ahead and you Google that, and the first thing that pops up is Wikipedia, and you start reading through. Now, we all know the problem with Wikipedia, The problem with Wikipedia is every one of us could go on there right now and start adding stuff that is not true. Some of you guys, that's a big revelation. Now you know why you failed out of school, because you used Wikipedia as your source. No, it doesn't work, right? It's not true, okay? Half the stuff on there, anybody, my 10-year-old could go on there and write something about why glue doesn't stick to the inside of the bottle, and we'd all be writing that in our term papers, right? And so we got to be so careful, because sometimes we Wikipedia God. Rather than going to elmers.com or chemistry.com and figuring out the answer to this scientific question, right? it's just like we go, oh, that's the easy answer, I'll just stick with that. And sometimes we Wikipedia God, and so instead of digging down deep into all that he is in those times of trial, we just sort of play it surfacy, you know. And so we find someone who maybe is also thinking about giving up on God. And we're like, yeah, that's right, I feel the same way. We didn't go down deep into God. We had a little conversation with somebody about him, but we didn't go deep into who he is, or we start praying stupid prayers, right? Sitting at the light. God, if this light changes at 855, you are there, and you have me. If it changes any different time, right, it changes at 856, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you weren't there, right? Stupid, right? We're Wikipedia and God. We're just scratching the surface instead of digging down deep. And guys, this is big. Do you know why we do it so often? Sometimes it's because we're lazy, Sometimes it's because we're tired. Sometimes if I'm honest and if I could to be compassionate for a minute, we're really beat up from life. And it's hard to dig down deep sometimes. But do you know a big reason sometimes in Wikipedia God? Because we don't really want to find that he's there. Because if we do, we have to start doing it his way. And some of us want to hang on to that control. And some of us want to hang on to our sin. Some of us want to hang on to those areas of our life that we don't want to surrender to God. But there's such a better way. And so tonight, I want to encourage you of some verses that are so powerful. See, these verses remind us that God is able to handle us digging down deep into Him. These verses remind us why, in the midst of our temptation to run or get surfacy or just kind of play it safe, is, man, we have this other option of exploring the depths of who God is. Now, some of you guys might say, okay, Doug, this sounds good, man, but... Maybe this is good for some of the people in the room, but not me, because I'm in a good place with God, and I hope that's true for all of you. Okay, two things. First of all, I hope to prepare you for a time when maybe you struggle, but secondly, and this is so important, don't wait until you're in a bad place to dig down deep. Start now. Do you know why? Because the depth of our relationship with God in the good times helps carry us through the bad. Have you ever seen that in just a human relationship? Some of you guys are married. Some of you guys are in dating relationships. Some of you guys have really deep friendships. And isn't it true that problems hit all of our relationships, right? There is not a marriage, a friendship, a a dating relationship in the world that hasn't hit a bump in the road, right? And the ones that so often survive are the ones who have history of living deep together, And so they hit the bump in the road, and they're able to survive because they have this strong foundation. And the same is true with God. If you and I wait till we're in a bad place to dig down deep into into God, we will miss out on the foundation of the relationship he wants us to have that will carry us through the hardship of that deep, broken time. And so don't wait. This is not a message for people who are only finding themselves like they might want to give up. This is for every single one of us here in the room. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. You are welcome here. This is a safe place for you to ask questions about Jesus and try to figure out what you believe and who God is. We're so excited you're here. But maybe one of the reasons that you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus is because you've sort of gone through some of this difficulty or disappointment and you decided that God must have abandoned you or he must not want you or he must not be big enough or strong enough or know how to handle what you're going through. And so we're going to look through that here today. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40. And this is an interesting book because Isaiah was a prophet. So in other words, God would speak messages to Isaiah about the future. Now I convince my kids that I'm a prophet because we'll be sitting watching a Mets game and I will say something and then the announcer will say the exact same phrase in the exact same way. You can ask them, it's true, it creeps everybody out, you know. So I'll be like, oh, DeGrom got him with the high heater. And then Keith Rand is like, oh, DeGrom got him with the high heater, you know. Now Isaiah is different from me because he's not making fairly obvious comments. One second before a sports commentator makes them. Isaiah, kids, I'm sorry, I'm not a prophet. Isaiah, he heard from God sometimes hundreds of years before events would take place. And here's what's going on. Isaiah heard from God. You know what? The nation of Israel has been far from me. The nation of Israel, God says, has been doing stupid stuff from the time of the Exodus and the time I I delivered them from Egypt, and I'm about to bring a time of discipline on them. Now remember, guys, a good parent disciplines their kid. And so God is saying, I love the nation of Israel. I want good for them, but I'm going to bring a time of discipline. And if I could just throw this out there, God has been so patient. If you know anything about the history from Exodus to this time, God's been so patient with the people of Israel and some of you guys in the room are parents. You know what it is to be patient with kids. Some of you guys in the room know what it is to be a kid who others had to be patient with, right? I mean, I think about it as a parent, you know, and again, my job is to prepare some of you guys for parenthood. Here's what you can expect sitting in the house. All of a sudden, a ball gets thrown against the dining room wall. It's like, guys, could we not do that? Sorry, Dad. Five seconds later, phoom, against, the, against the wall again. Uh, guys, uh, if we could not do that, please. Phoom, again, right? Guys, um, oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I didn't even realize I was doing it anymore, okay? 10,000 more times. And then as a parent, you go, that's it. You're grounded until you're 120. And they go, but Dad, I'm not even going to live that long. That's right. You're granted your 80 years here, and your first 40 in heaven. But Dad, that's not theologically correct. There won't be any punishment in heaven. I know. I'm just really frustrated. And don't argue with me about theology, okay? So just that—that's that, where you're going to be one day, okay? God sat and watched the people of Israel throw the ball against the dining room wall ten thousand times, and said, "Guys, you're headed for disaster." The best thing for you is to be near me. And so I'm going to bring a time of discipline on you. And so he said, okay, the nation of Babylon is going to come and they're going to overtake you for a season. But listen to this. This is the God that we have, guys. The God that we have says in one breath, he says, okay, Isaiah, prepare them because this is what's going to happen. But then he says this. He says, Isaiah, but now comfort them with these words. And that's what the whole whole chapter of Isaiah 40 is. And I don't know about you guys, but if I found out that a time of discipline was coming in my life from God, here's a couple of things I may have thought. I may have thought, maybe God doesn't want me. or Maybe he's abandoned me. or Maybe my way is better. Or maybe he can't handle what we're about to go through. And here in Isaiah 40, look at what happens in verse 1. It says, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. You see, some of you guys need to know, you may be going through a hard time in your life right now because God's trying to lovingly get your attention, but he still loves you. He is not a psycho dad trying to punish you for the sake of punishing you. He is a loving dad trying to win you back to himself. And so you might be going through some stuff right now, but he wants to know, he wants you to know. That he loves you. And so he says, Isaiah, comfort the people. And he says this, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And you and I look at verses like that, and it's like, okay, that's interesting. It talks about the sins being paid for. But some of us look at that part where it talks about receiving from God double for all of our sin. And it almost feels like, oh, see that? God just wants to pay us back. See, he gave the nation double for all their sin. But guys, we have to understand, it's not talking about double the punishment for all their sins. Do you know what a good God we have? What Isaiah is saying here to the people is, God is going to give you double the blessing for all the sins you have committed. So the moral of the story is sin as much as possible so God can bless you all the more. No, that's horrible advice. Just kidding, right? But that's what's going on here in this verse. That's the God we have. Now, kids, don't get any ideas here in the front row, but that would be like one of my kids coming home when they're about 17. Dad, I wrecked the car. All right? Can't drive the car. You're gonna have to figure out. We're gonna have to, you know, pay for this, but, but you can't drive the car for the next two months. Two months are over. And walk down. Bryn's not gonna happen, but walk down, keys, Bryn, here's a brand new car. But, Dad, I wrecked your car. I know. I'm gonna be like God not really going to (laughs) be, but I'm going to be like God, so of course she has to come tonight, right, I'm going to be like God, and I'm going to give you double the blessing for all of your sins, see that's what God is saying here, and isn't it interesting that it says that Israel's sins have been paid for, Isaiah wrote this 750 years before Jesus ever came, and he is pointing to Jesus coming and getting on a cross and dying in our place and rescuing us, paying for our sins, this is the God we can dig down deep into. So, you know what all this tells me, guys? God wants you. Do not give up because you believe the lie. God does not want you. I talked with a, a guy who's about 50 years old last week, maybe last month. Let me not exaggerate. And I had talked about, guys, God loves you. He's there. This guy had been a Sunday school teacher, this guy had been, like, volunteered in churches for probably 30 or 40 years and he came up to me with tears in his eyes and he said, I've just had such a hard time believing lately that God still wants me. Do not give up on God because you think he doesn't want you. He wants you so much he got on the cross. It doesn't matter if you throw the ball against the dining room wall 10,000 times, he will keep pursuing you. I love verse 3. This is powerful, guys. Please catch this with me. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What's this all about? Well, guys... Doesn't it feel sometimes like when when it feels like God is far like we're in a desert? Doesn't it kind of feel like we're in the middle of a wilderness sometimes when it feels like God is far? And, And Israel had this custom, and you've probably seen this in the movies. Have you ever seen that movie Gladiator? When the emperor returns to Rome, they have a big processional. You know what I mean by that? Everybody's out there. There's this huge, you know, carriage that brings them in. And there's sort of this highway that is made into like this huge deal so that this important person could come. And what Isaiah is saying, guys, and please catch this. This is so important. What Isaiah is saying here is, nation of Israel, you're in a hard place. You're in the wilderness. You're in the desert. But you have to build a highway for God to come and move. You have to build a processional. You have to get ready. See, see that's the thing. In some of our lives, guys, when we go through dark times, when we go through dry times, and God doesn't feel as close, we have to ask this question. Are, have we given him an on-ramp into our life? Have we given him a a highway? Have we said, God, here is what I will do to meet with you in the middle of my desert? And if I could just say it this way, guys, sometimes we have to build a highway for God to move in our desert. Anybody there right now? You just feel far from God? When you open the Bible, it feels dry. When you pray, it feels like it's bouncing back off the ceiling. Sometimes we have to build a highway in the middle of that desert, in the middle of that wilderness, and say, God, I don't know what the conditions are right now. I don't know where you are right now. But I know that no matter what, I am going to build this stinking processional in the middle of this wilderness so that I can meet with you. How do we do that? So when we're in the middle of our desert, we start to pray. We start to cry out to God. We're in the middle of our desert. We open up the word of God even when it doesn't feel like it used to and we seek him. We come the starting point here at church so we can talk about how to dig deep into God's word together. We, we open up the Bible reading app that, that Joe Levante put together on our church app that'll take you through the book of Mark in 30 days. We, we get into God's word. We worship, guys. I hope you don't wait to feel something to worship when you're in the desert, when you're in the wilderness. No, we still worship him anyway. This is when we grab a friend and we say, guys, I gotta tell you, I just feel like I've been in the wilderness for so long. Would you pray for me? Guys, we build that highway so that God can move in our desert. It tells me there's hope. Guys, there's hope. No matter what you might feel today, no matter what you might be going through today, there is hope for you to meet with God. And that is what you need. More than anything, you need to meet with God. You need a fresh encounter with Him. The next part says every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. Can we just dig down deep into what this verse just said? Because some of us are approaching God with impossible situations, but we just read about a God. I don't know if you ever stood in a valley. Long Island's kind of flat. We don't really have valleys and mountains, right? It's like Bald Hill. Yeah, nice try, right? So if you ever stood in a valley and looked up like, wow, right? Ever stood with a mountain in your way? But this verse is telling us that God has the power to raise valleys and lower mountains. And this verse really is talking about the mountain of sin in between me and God that Jesus took care of to make me saved. And he made that ground level. But this is the kind of God we got to dig down deep into when we want to give up and we feel like running. We remember his incredible power Let's jump down to verse 7. Anybody ever felt like God's abandoned you? Verse 7 says, The grass withers and flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. We still see the power of God here. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout. He's saying, Isaiah, get up on a mountain and lift up your voice and shout these four words. Here is your God. Israel, I know it feels like God abandoned you. I know Babylon came and times got hard, but here are four words that I'm going to shout from this mountain. Here is your God. If I could just shout that to you today. Here is your God. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you, and he never will because he promised he never will. So do not give up on God because you might feel like he's abandoned you. Dig down deep Into those four words. Here is your God. Ever wonder if he can handle what you're going through? Verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. We have a mighty and powerful God. Guys, he can handle what you're going through. So my son Landon is playing with his iPod earlier in the summer and my dad was hanging out with us. And I don't know about you, but once in a while, it's kind of fun when someone's, like, really intensely working on their phone. They just kind of take your finger and, and mess with it, like, you know, without even looking. And so Len is trying to beat his high score score in this game, and he's super intense into it. And my dad goes over and goes like this on his iPod without even looking at the screen. And I see Landon's eyes get all big. I'm like, oh, man, Landon's about to freak out because my dad just made him die, right, in the game. <laughs> Landon's eyes are all big. He looks up at my dad. He goes you just beat my high score. My dad didn't even look at the screen. He just went like this, and he beat the high score. Guys, that is God in our lives, isn't it? We're looking at the screen, trying to figure out where am I supposed to go, and who am I supposed to marry, and what job will I have, and should I move there, and should I do this, and should I measure in that, and what about my kids, and what about finances, and what about the promotion, and God's like, that <laughs> everything, right? He can handle what you're going through. He's got you. We're doing a series in, in, in about a month called Stressed Out. It's so easy to get stressed out, isn't it? It's so easy to just feel so overwhelmed by the weight of the world and the weight of the, the lives we live. But God has you. He can handle what you're going through. I love God; His, His power has been made so clear. But look at these next verses. It says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. Guys, we're the lambs. He is the shepherd in this verse, right? He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Do you know how powerful that is? See, here's the deal. We've been talking about a really powerful God up to this point in the message, but we've got to know how loving he is as well. Because we've all known really powerful people that weren't loving and they were horrible. And we've all known loving people that had no power, and though they loved us, they couldn't do anything to help us. But this is a loving God, and I love where it says, he carries us close to his heart. So Joe and Natalie have their little one here tonight, and when they walk around with that cute little child, they carry them close to their heart. My kids, I used to walk around with them. When my son Cade was born, he was four pounds, eight ounces, this little preemie, and I would carry him around the house, and, and I would sing to them, you know, try to sing them to sleep, you know, with my, my 80s metal songs. and I would, I would sing them, you know, worship songs, and I would sing them, and they would just fall asleep in my arms, close to my heart. Guys, when you walked into church today, is that how you felt God carries you? Close to his heart. What do you carry close to your heart? Something that you love, something that you cherish. This morning, when we moved the risers from in front of the stage every week the school puts risers out and we moved them this morning and there was some kind of entity on the floor it must have been like cream cheese that maybe one of the kids dropped throughout the week and it was down there and it almost grew legs and walked away and I was like whoa and so I ran into the kitchen back there I grabbed like 17 napkins and I picked it up and I just brought it like close to my heart and I just no right do you know what I did I picked it up. I held it like this. I walked to the back, dropped it in the trash, and then lit it on fire. No, I not light it on fire. But. but guys, you know what? Some of us, if we're honest, like our view of how God interacts with us is he picks us up. And if at all, if he even cares to pick us up, and he just carries us around like this and maybe kind of looking for a trash bin and just discard us. The picture we need to have is a God who carries us close to his heart. And so he is incredibly powerful. But man, he is so loving. In case you forgot how powerful he is, verse 12, who has measured the waters of the hollow in his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off with the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? What are you doing, God? I'm Just playing around with the water of of the earth, right? What what do you got there, God? I'm just walking around my little basket with all the earth in it, right? I mean, that's what God his perspective, and this is the opportunity we have every time we feel like giving up, every time we feel like taking back control, every time we feel like we're going to stop surrendering to him, is we can give up or we can dig down deep into this God that we're talking about here tonight. All right, Doug, maybe he's big, but does he know what he's doing? Verse 13, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? The answer to all of these is nothing and no one. Who has taught God anything? No one. Who has given him advice? Who has instructed him? No one. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Let's talk about some things God has never said. You ready for this? God has never said, I was just wondering if you could help me figure this out. We try, right? We got all the reasons why he should do it this way and that way. We try, but he has never said that. God has never said, when you get a second, can you show me how to do this? Never said it. You and I say that. He's never said it. I know this one for sure. God has never said, I love country music. Never, ever said that. I know that for a fact. <laughs> you know what else he's never said? I just don't know what to do. Like never had a meeting in heaven. A crisis meeting, Right? Don't come in until we figure this all out. Never happened, right? I wish I could figure this out. God's never said that because God knows what he's doing. In fact, the insane thing is when you and I think that something wise would be to go and take something that we have previously surrendered to God and take it back and try to manage it ourselves. God, I had trusted you with this relationship, but you know what? I'm just going to take that back now and try to manage this myself. God, I had trusted you with my future, but you know what? I'm going to forget what you have to say about it, and I'm thinking this is a great opportunity, even though I know this isn't what you want me to do, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Like, that's insanity. Sometimes people say, oh, you're crazy to trust in God. Really? Or am I crazy to trust in myself? This is the kind of stuff we have to dig down deep into. And so maybe he does want you, Maybe he can handle what you're going through. Maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe he's powerful. But at the end of the day, is he worth it? Is he worth it? Is there something better to live for? Verse 18 says this, With whom then will you compare God? Well, thanks, Isaiah, because that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to compare God with all the other options out there, all the other things we might live for. To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, an idol was something that they would make back in the day out of wood and silver and gold, and it's just they would worship this thing. But an idol is anything we love more than God, right? As, a, as for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. Now, pick up on this last line. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Now remember what an idol was, they'd make some kind of figure, they'd stand it up, and the people would bow down to it and worship. But did you see what it just said? They got to find somebody to build it feet so it can stand. So somebody makes the idol and they go, cool, set it up. And It goes, Phew, falls down. Okay, cool, man, set that thing up so we can worship it. Falls down. Can I tell you something about your idols and my idols? They topple over pretty easily, don't they? They can't stand on their own. All the stuff we elevate above God, all the stuff we decide is worth living for above God, always falls down, doesn't it? And it was the job of these guys to look for a skilled worker to build their stupid idols some feet so he could stand. I just wonder what kind of feet we're trying to attach to our money, and to our distractions. Into our status and our popularity and all these dumb things we live for and put above God. And God is just saying, God, just dig down deep into me. I don't need anybody to build me feet. I can stand for myself. It goes on. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was found that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth? So no big deal. God just enthroned above the earth sitting up there in complete control and complete power today, ruling on his throne, and now we're going to go try to find something else to live for? Jesus is worth it. And by the way, I love when the Bible and science intersect because it says here he sits above the the what of the earth? The circle of the earth. Do you know Isaiah wrote this in 750 B.C.? That's 2,100 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue to tell us we have around earth. little side note there for you. Jump down to verse 25. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens, who created all these. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one, calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Not one of them is missing. We can't always see him because we live near New York City, but not one of them is missing. There was a never a night when God came out and he was like, man, I forgot to bring out the Big Dipper tonight, right? Like, never happened not one of them ever missing because he calls them out by name can any of your idols do that can any of your relationships do that can any of the stuff we look to do that Jesus is worth it verse 27 why do you complain Jacob Jacob is another name for the nation of Israel why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Can we talk about this verse for a second? Because this is exactly what we're talking about in this message. Those times when we feel like giving up on God because He has disregarded our cause. Because it feels like our way is hidden from Him. So obviously, God knows that in this time of discipline, Israel was going to feel like maybe God had abandoned them or He didn't want them. And so He answers this, he asks this question, and then in verse 28 we get to read something really powerful and i said this in the in the morning services we're not a church That's normally throwing amens and all that out there, but I just say let's let it fly if you're feeling it after these verses, because let's just read this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, who dig down deep, who go for the Lord, who don't run away, who don't give up, but hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength They will soar on wings like eagles. they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. It's like God is saying, "Hey guys, dig down deep into this. You're feeling abandoned? You feeling like you can't trust me? You feel like there's other things that are more worth it? Dig down deep into this. Isaiah, God says, "Isaiah, my people need to know they can dig down deep into me. In fact, Isaiah, don't just tell them to dig down deep into me. Help them dig down deep into me. And here's what you can do, Isaiah. One day, there's going to be this church in Hopog, and they're going to need to be reminded, Isaiah, that thousands of years later, I can still handle being dug down deep into. And so we're going to put this little thing here, Isaiah, together called Isaiah 40 for the nation of Israel, but, but watch how I use this to encourage the church thousands of years from now, because they're going to feel abandoned at times, and they're going to feel like I don't have them at times, and they're going to feel tempted to give up. But I want you to comfort them, and I want you to help them go down deep into all that I am. What I want you guys to get, especially if you're tempted to give up recently, is when you feel like giving up, dig down deep. Do not play it safe. Do not Mess around on the surface. Do not, Wikipedia God, do not run in the other direction. Do not believe these lies. Dig down deep into all that God is. And we do that by seeking him in prayer. Maybe in the middle of our desert, we gotta prime that pump. We gotta say, God, this doesn't feel like I'm connecting with you. It doesn't feel like you're hearing me, but I'm gonna pray and cry out to you anyway. God, right now, your word feels like it's just pages, words on a page that are not giving me the life that I, I long for, but I'm going to prime that pump. I'm going to build that highway in the middle of my desert, God, so that you can move in my life and your word will again be life to me again. God, I'm going to worship you. I don't care how I feel. I'm going to worship you right now. God, I'm going to pull a friend aside tonight. I'm going to come up for prayer because I need people to carry me through this. And When we dig down deep, Here's what's going to happen. We're going to discover the truth about God. We're going to discover the truth. That's the power of this, guys. We don't just dig down deep because it's the religious Christian thing to do. We dig down deep because when we do, we're going to find that he wants us. And we're gonna find that there is hope and we're gonna find that he has not abandoned us and we're gonna find he can handle what we're going through and he knows what he's doing and that there's nothing like him and he is worth it. If I took this shovel outside right now and I begin to dig and I went down like two feet, five feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, I'm gonna keep finding earth, right? Every layer down I go, I'm gonna find more earth. And I'm telling you right now, the more you dig into God, the more God you're gonna find. It's not like you get to a point and it's like hollow, You're just going to keep finding more and more of who he is. And some of you guys are saying, okay, Doug, I get it, man. So when I'm in a bad place one day and I go through something hard, I should dig down deep instead of running from God. No. No. I mean, you should do that, but don't wait until you're in the bad place. Dig down deep now. So some of you guys are sitting there going, man, I still can't believe Kelly, how she was able to stay close to Jesus and say that he's worth it. Even if she were to die, he's worth it. And and even if she were to die, that he is worth living for. And How does she do that? I can tell you how she did it. First of all, let's just say it was the grace of God to start. But if there are two practical things Kelly did throughout this process, number one is that she dug down deep in the midst of her pain, and every single day she cried out to Jesus. She didn't just start messing around on the service; She would dig down deep, and she would fight her way into all that God had for her. And there was no day she did not do that in the midst of her trial. But more than that, and I think this is more powerful, is that throughout her 39 years before that sickness hit her, She had dug down deep into Jesus every day of those 39 years. And so when the bottom fell out, she had the foundation already in place. And I would say those two things, apart from the grace of God, which I would say was 99% of it, but if there's 1% of it, I could point that Kelly got right. It was that she dug down deep. And that 1% is all you and I can do. Because the rest is God's grace, just so you know. And if we're going to get anything right as we walk through trials in life, and as we walk through even the good times in life, that 1% is going to be you and I saying, God, I'm going to dig down deep today while it's good, while I feel you, so that I'm okay when the bottom falls out one day. But when the bottom does fall out, God, I'm going to build a highway in my desert so that you can move. Like I said earlier, the depth of our relationship with God in the good times helps carry us through the bad. When we dig down deep, we discover the truth about God. When we discover the truth about God, we don't give up. I think it's genius that God put Isaiah 40 in the Bible because tonight we dug down deep into who he is. Doug, what do I do though? You do exactly what we just did tonight. You open up a chapter like Isaiah 40 or a chapter like Romans 8 and you just sit with it. And you just pour over it, and you let it pour over you. And you let the truths about who God is be your stability and your foundation in the midst of your pain and your hardship. If you're not a follower of Jesus here, you heard about a God who loves you, who wants you, who does not hold you like a discarded piece of trash, but holds you near to his heart. God who got on a cross for you to die for you and rescue you. And if you want to put your trust in him tonight, I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a minute. All day long in all our services, people have been putting their trust in Jesus. It's been amazing. Love for you to do that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, will you dig down deep? Yes, in the bad times, those of you who feel like giving up, don't give up. Dig down deep. But those of you who are doing all right today, you dig down deep too. Because we need that foundation in our lives. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that, man, if we've seen anything tonight, it is that you are a God of substance. You are a God we can sink our teeth into. And there is something that we can hang on to. And I thank you that your grace is 99% of our battle. Your power is. 99% of our battle. You are what keeps us. But that 1% that we show up with, God, is to dig down deep through the good and the bad. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray about this right now? Were you ready to give up? Why were you ready to give up? Or is there a part of you that was maybe not ready to give up on your whole faith, but you were ready to start taking some stuff back, or maybe you just have recently? I'm going to start managing this because I don't know if God can handle it. I'm going to start, you know, just going my own way with that because I don't know if, if he's trustworthy or worth it. Tonight, what are those areas of your life that you're going to give back to him? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I would just encourage you to begin a conversation with God like this. Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you that you are a God I can go down deep into. God, I pray for your help. I pray that you'll show me what it is to follow you. And I pray, God, you will show me that you are crazy about me. That, God, you are not looking to discard me like a piece of trash. But you want to hold me close to your heart. I thank you for this gift of salvation today. Before we open our eyes tonight, I want to be praying for anybody that prayed that prayer for the first time. And you don't have to do this next step. This, this step does not save you. Jesus saves you. But so I can be praying for you and so we can celebrate a little bit that God has worked tonight. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time tonight and invited Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, would you just look at me real quick? It's real dark. Nobody can see you. Anybody do that? here in the room tonight. Awesome. i see you. Yes. Anybody else? see you. God, thank you. Continue your work in these lives. Continue to do great and powerful things. We love you so much. Your name.